we see a lot of coded language, particularly in the tech space, that is very exclusionary towards older workers. And listen, it's also really difficult to see yourself if you are a a 65-year-old grandmother who plays canasta, even if you know how to code, you don't see yourself reflected in what this advertisement is clearly looking for. Maybe we can figure out where the the best place to be old in tech is. (laughs) (laughs) I can answer that actually right now. The best place to be old in tech is when you start your own company. You're listening to It Gets Late Early, a show about the experience of getting older in the tech industry. I'm your host, Maureen Wiley-Clough. Let's dive in. Welcome to It Gets Late Early. Today I have with me Jenny Woltz and Ben Falkenstein from Woltz and Falkenstein PC based in Connecticut. And they are here today to tell you all about the law, our favorite subject, but one that is really, really important for older workers over 40 and beyond in the tech industry. So wanted to uh, inter- let you two introduce yourselves and, and tell us a little bit about what you do at your firm. Oh, thank you so much, Maureen. We're so glad to be here today. We are a, a boutique labor and employment law firm. We help employers and employees promote dignity in the workplace. Um, we do that through um, helping both employers and employees navigate all kinds of labor and employment law issues, whether that's advice, counseling, negotiation of employment agreements, um, as well as advocacy in litigations, arbitrations, agency charges, uh, you name it. Uh, we help employers with strategic initiatives and we help employees out of all kinds of sticky employment situations as well. So uh, great to be here. Yeah. Thank you, Maureen. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Now, we have, Jenny and I have about a combined 30 years of experience, but I think we're already also pretty nice. old by, by, by tech industry standards. We're almost three years old. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this, August will be, Ancient. this August will be three. It's like 21 in dog years. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, and it's funny because when you think about the law, typically I would say that I would be more inclined to find a lawyer with a lot of experience. So it's an interesting sort of a a dichotomy between the tech industry and what we feel here versus what you see in the law firm, which uh, the legal world, I would say, which is like, oh, yeah, well, I've been litigating cases since you were in diapers. And there's that sort of reverse ageism in in your industry, which is which is funny. Um, But thank you. Thank you both so much for being here. Uh, really psyched to have you. Basically, you know, I, I'm curious if you can share with our audience, what are the protections for people over 40 in any industry in the United States? Can you share a little bit about what the law says and what the protections really are? offer people. Absolutely, Maureen. So there's actually a patchwork of of federal law as well as local and state law that tend to protect employees against age discrimination in the workplace. The federal law that protects older workers from discrimination is called the Age Discrimination in Employment Act, or known as the ADEA, in case we refer to it by its nickname throughout the show. And that is a, it's a federal law again, passed in 1967. So relatively not, you know, not that old, though it's, it certainly had time to mature itself. And what the ADEA protects is, um, is generally it protects uh, against uh, employer discrimination on the basis of age, whether that is failing to hire an individual because they were too old over the age of 40. It also protects against treating employees different within the workplace on any kind of adverse employment 
issue, whether that's termination, demotion, um, also segregating employees on the basis of age and treating them uh, differently. Uh, it also protects employees against having their wages reduced on the basis of their age. So, for instance, it would be it would be unlawful to have a policy or a practice to say that employees, you know, from from X age to 40 get one wage rate and the employee doing the same thing gets a different wage rate um, uh, beyond beyond that. So. One thing that stuck out to me when I was doing my research on this topic is that the burden of proof for an age discrimination case is higher than that of a race or gender discrimination case. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Correct, Maureen. The ADEA only permits employees to prove that they've been uh, discriminated against on the basis of age through establishing that age is the is the but for cause of their discrimination. Uh, that does differ from other major federal uh, law, which is Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act, which is the one that protects against, among other things, race discrimination and gender discrimination. That one permits employees to show either that their race or their gender or whatever protected class was the but-for cause, but they can also show that their protected class was a motivating factor, meaning that it was only one of a number of factors that the employer took to discriminate against them. So that's like smoking gun versus just kind of a, a correlative one of many things, right? So yeah. what what I'm taking with my, you know, very elementary knowledge of the law and uh, trying to break it down to like a fifth grade level is essentially what you need for an age discrimination case to be successful is more along the lines of a smoking gun, like the age was the defining factor, the reason you were let go, the reason there was an adverse employment decision, so on and so forth. Is that correct? Exactly. Well, what it also means wow. is that it permits employers to, you know, kind of uh, to defend themselves um, by by showing that there's a, a number of factors that were that were you know part of the of the termination decision, um, so whereas whereas an employer wouldn't be able to have that kind of a defense by throwing a whole bunch of things in with a with a race or, or a gender discrimination case. Um, interesting. So interesting. Yeah. So it makes it harder for the employee to prove that age was the reason. If it's if it's undisputed or the employee can't prove that the those other non-protected reasons were part of it, then they they just might be, you know, SOL when it comes to recovering. Wow. So I find this all really fascinating because what I've read is that there are actually 28% more age discrimination cases brought against tech companies than race or gender. And yet what we know is that the burden of proof for age discrimination is actually much higher than that for race or gender. So can you speak a little bit about that situation and perhaps why there is a higher burden of proof? Well, the the higher burden of proof uh, stems from the, the two statutes themselves where the courts are interpreting the language of each statute. And the ADA is phrased differently than Title VII. And under Title VII, you can, you you know, plaintiffs are allowed to show these sort of mixed motives type of uh, issues where under the ADA, the employee is only uh, entitled to recovery if he or she can show that age was the sole factor. But in terms of the tech wow. industry, I mean, you know, it's been sort of a well-known secret that there's just a lot, you know, perception that the young people that are in charge and age is sort of not something that's overlooked or even looked down upon. But even still, people are bringing more cases against their companies in tech 
for age. So is it a lack of understanding of how the law works? Well, I think it's important also to remember that most lawsuits don't only involve federal causes of action. So while we were just talking before about the differences between the burden of proof in an ADEA, which is a federal law, and Title VII, which is, which is a federal law, um, many states and localities have state and local law which doesn't have those same um, limitations. Uh, so for instance, one of the locations in where we practice uh, very frequently in New York and New York City has both state and um, and New York City law, which protects against age discrimination. Um, and, and age in those situations doesn't have to be the sole factor. You can use the mixed motive, you can use the mixed motive standard. The other reason, you didn't ask this exactly, but it's but it's important for your listeners to know why state and, and city law is, is often a very, very favorable laws to invoke when bringing any kinds of claims is because there are a, several other limitations in the federal ADEA as well that prevent employees from, uh, from asserting, um, asserting their rights. Certain things, for instance, like the ADEA only protects, it only, only covers employers with more than 20 employees. Um, oh, so wow. that's a certain, you know, that's, that, Obviously, that means that smaller companies, any startup, startup employers with fewer than 20 employees, if you are an employee who's been discriminated on the basis of your age, you don't have a case under the ADEA. Wow. It's, it's jurisdictionally, wow. it's just, it's not available to you. You have to bring a case in that, in that case under um, in state, you live. Right, or state or local law. And it'll depend. If they're better if than they're, the federal, <laughs> which is not always the right. case, I'm if sure. Your, if your state <laughs> or, uh, or locality has an age discrimination law, many states do. Most states have their own human rights laws or civil rights laws that protect against it. The other limitation also is that the ADEA only protects employees who are 40 or over. So if you were discriminated against because you were 37 years old and let go from from a tech company because everyone else there is 25, you don't have a you, you don't have a claim under the ADEA. But for instance, New York statute um, it, it protects employees uh, from age 18 up. So you can, yeah, you can the company wow. can choose which is for, basically anyone working, right? Right. If the reason is age. Which, whichever way you go, right. Exactly. Wow. Because it does go both ways. It can, right. certainly. Right. Um, and the, I mean, the, and the other reason that the, uh, that the ADEA also has some limitations that maybe state law or, or, or local law doesn't have is that, um, as it's currently interpreted, the, uh, the ADEA, uh, doesn't permit job applicants to bring certain kinds of age discrimination claims. So I don't know how familiar you or your listeners might be with the various theories around how you might bring an age discrimination claim, but one theory would be on disparate treatment, um, which is saying you're being treated differently than another applicant for this for some reason. The other theory of liability under the ADEA and a whole bunch of other discrimination laws is what's called disparate impact, which is when you basically have a neutral policy or practice that um, over a, an aggregate application um, ends up disenfranchising a certain group. Interesting. So, yeah, the very a good example of what disparate impact looks like um, in in the case of gender is, uh, and this happens all the time with like firefighters. Is you know a, a, an employer might say for a good reason or not, let's say all all candidates need to be over six feet tall. That is going to have a disparate impact on gender. 
Don't know a ton of six foot plus women out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's not that many six foot tall women. No, and it's a it smaller pool. <laughs> right. There could be, there could be a yeah. reason for, for having it. It's not always going to be illegal, but for instance, if you had a, you know, a, a policy or a, a practice of, um, you said only people who are over 50 years and older could apply or 50 years and under or something like that, you would, I mean, you would have a problem unless yeah. option applied. I also would like to worry on something else that you said earlier when you said, uh, you know, why wouldn't you bring a claim that includes everything but the kitchen sink in there? <laughs> right. And oftentimes you do see claims that plaintiffs would bring claims. And, you know, uh, if there are any colorable other claims you can bring based on age, based on gender or race, you would include those as well, both under the yeah. federal statutes like the ADA, if the company's over 20 and all the other uh, predicates are met, as well as the the, the local and, and, and state cognates. So you wouldn't just bring necessarily, if the case calls for it, just a case, claim under the ADA because of age. You would try to bring everything into this one, one, one just claim. Just lump it which, all in, yeah, because you have a better actually, shot, required, right? Which is required, honestly, <laughs> under our, 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 you know, our, our, our legal you know, frameworks, require you to bring all, all the claims need to be resolved at once. That's sort of the, the judicial economy. Got it. They don't want you coming back to the trough over and over again. They want to get this done. <laughs> Got it. Respect that. Respect that. Yeah. It can be drawn out. Getting back, to, getting back to Maureen's question, though, also about why in the tech industry are we seeing so many more claims on the basis of age? I think there's got to be a number. There's got to be a number of factors on that. So, yeah, I want to go back to something that Maureen was asking uh, before about the reason why there's a 28 percent uh, increase in in the number of age discrimination claims in the tech industry versus those um, on the basis of other protected classes. And I think there's a whole number of, of factors that I'm sure go into that. One of them is probably just the selection bias of the people who have applied to um, applied to these uh, applied to tech jobs. Um, we know that there are um, are are problems with uh, with the way that sometimes advertisements can be can, can, <laughs> yes. be, can be wording of themselves, <laughs> and we see a lot of coded language, particularly in the tech space, that is very exclusionary towards older workers. We'll yes, see, it is. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see advertisements <laughs> who are calling for that. What are they calling? Um, um, ninjas. I ninjas, digital natives. Digital ninjas. natives. That was the mm -hmm. word I was looking for. Digital <laughs> natives is is a very coded way of saying you know we want a millennial, a millennial or or younger, someone who grew yep. up with um with digital. Same thing with with asking for rock stars or you know. <laughs> You know, someone who's got lots of enthusiasm and can, uh, you know, work in a energy, in a, in a energy, <laughs> fast paced environment. Yes. Um, work hard, play hard. Work oh, hard, yeah. play Ping hard. Ping pong exactly. tables, free beer Friday. Right. Like you see all of that in there. And then you look at the pictures on the website and typically you don't see anyone who's markedly over 35. Like that's exactly. Correct. And listen, it's also really difficult to see to, you know, to see yourself if you are a a 65-year-old grandmother who plays canasta, even if you know how to code, right? <laughs> you're not you don't see yourself reflected in what mm -mm. this advertisement is, you know, is is Absolutely. looking for. If you can't see it, you can't be it. Yeah, that could be that could be one reason. Um I also think that in um in it's not necessarily tech as an industry, but in a lot of startups, and there are a, a many disproportionately 
uh, tech startups these days. Um, startups in general, no matter the industry, tend to have really underdeveloped HR functions. They are, they're usually in large growth model. They ask their friends, you know, if you've got young entrepreneurs and they're all asking their friends for their own recommendations, you're just going to, you're going to have um, a pool of younger and younger people being, you know, insular, uh, insularly recruited for these roles. And you're going to inadvertently develop a culture that is somewhat homogenous. Yes. Um, yes, you are. Hey, quick break here. If you or anyone you know are looking for a new tech job and you're aiming for a company that understands the value of experienced workers, sign up for our email list where we'll send you jobs from companies that we hand select as a fit for tech employees over 40. Go to itgetsleteearly.com and add your email. Now back to the show. So again, an older, you know, an older worker isn't going to see themselves reflected in the existing pools and the HR and operations people also, when they're confronted with an older worker who's, you know, a, an anomaly and is, is somewhat different from the existing talent pool, isn't necessarily going to um, to see them as, you know, as a fit, at least initially. Yeah. And you bring up a really strong point. I think in this, again, in these sort of younger techie type startups or businesses, I think there's been a, a recognition of race and gender discrimination the, whereas the focus on age has not really been something at the forefront of, of, of these issues. And now with uh, sort of a more aging workforce, we're really confronting. Yeah, it. I mean, we have to. I think that's an excellent point. And Maureen, you're you're doing for for, you know, for age as a class what, you know, we've had very vocal people already do for for race and gender that and there hasn't been a voice like that for age. So kudos to you for. <laughs> For raising the awareness that this that age is also a form of you know of a, of a diversity initiative that um, that that companies uh, should be you know should be aware of and should be and should be looking to actively recruit um, and and retain and find inclusivity for among the generations. I mean, preach for sure. <laughs> and the thing is, you know, no one. No one thinks they're going to get old. It's a really funny, hubristic element of youth. Like I, I remember when I first got a gray hair and I was like, what is this? Like aging only happens to other people. Like I was shocked. And then I thought to myself in this incredibly divided, horrible world full of echo chambers, this is actually the one thing that unites all of us. And that there's like a certain weird kind of beauty in that. And so this is one thing we should all be able to get behind and tackle. And, you know, I feel at some level, you know, I'm I'm only 40. I'm technically now part of a protected class. I felt this before 40, which is insane. It blows my mind still. I really think this matters. I really think we all need to start thinking about this. And to your other point, this is an economic imperative. It's not just a moral imperative. We are graying so fast. Our workforce is getting so much older so quickly. And so we have to confront our sort of ageist stereotypes and the way in which we view older people so that we can employ these people. So I guess... What could you tell the audience, people who are fearful that they might actually be impacted by a layoff in the near future or people who have recently been impacted by a layoff? What can you tell them about their legal rights under the law um, federally? And then perhaps you can shed a little light more on what you would say in specific states in what you practice. Yeah. So the biggest protection that employees who are you know, older than 40 have when they are laid off as part of a group um, comes from 
uh, an amendment to the ADEA called the OWBPA, the Older Workers Benefits Protection Act. And what that law does is it actually requires employers who are laying off employees as part of a group, and a group is defined as two or more, doesn't have to be a big group, um, but if employers are, li- are, are laying off a, a group and that group involves workers who are over 40, then the workers who are over 40, in order to validly waive their age discrimination in Employment Act claims, um, have to be provided with certain notifications. And you alluded to that earlier in, in one of your earlier questions when you talked about these notifications. And what the notification actually is, is it requires the employer to be pretty transparent with with who else is in the group, where those employees came from within the organization, and what the ages of all of those employees are. And it's usually actually done, the disclosure is done, and there's usually a part that's, that's in writing that describes what criteria went into the layoff. And then the, the other part is in the form of a chart. And the, and the purpose of this, this notification, um, is actually to permit the worker to bring that chart to their lawyer and say, does this look fishy to you? Now, in preparing that chart, that also gives the employer the opportunity to pause as well and say, does this look fishy to us? Is this going to land us in trouble? What is, <laughs> what is a, what is a lawyer going to think? Um, if they, if they see this. So, you know, having that protection in, since, since we do work, you know, at Waltz and Falkenstein for both employers and employees, um, this, this particular law basically builds in a, a best practices pause for everyone involved, right? It builds in a pause for the employer to say, are the factors we think we're using to make this layoff having a disparate impact on people who are over 40? Right? Are we using and, and people use a lot and employers use a lot of various factors. They'll use seniority. They might use performance. They might use uh, you know a certain area of you know certain business area. Um, but so you can look at the impact before you actually execute on the on the layoff. The second thing is is part of the the OWBA's protections also says that you have to provide older workers with an extended period of time in order to consider the severance package that's in front of them. So, and again, all severance packages, I'm, I'm making the assumption here, but it's 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 true in, in all of them, require you to waive your rights, right? They require you to waive your rights to sue the company. Um, and so it, it says that in any kind of package that's being offered where someone has to waive their rights, you have to provide that employee, if they're if they're, a, if they're a sole employee, at least 21 days to consider it and seven days to revoke it. And if it's part of a group, it's going to be 45 days to consider it and another seven days to revoke that waiver of rights. So it gives employees a lot of protection and it gives them some time to, to go to their attorney. The severance agreement actually has to say um, uh, that it, you know, that they've been advised to go to an attorney. So there is a lot of, there are a lot of protections that are being built in certainly by this law. And I, and I think that's really important. That's, that's definitely great and hopeful, but I, I'm also thinking about it from the perspective of if, if you don't have a chart of the entire organization alongside that of those who were laid off in a group of two or more, if, if I see that and I'm one of two to five employees say that happen to be over 40 and our ages are all listed as 40, well, if we don't see the entire scope of the organization, what can I really draw from that? I'd, I'd look like I was like everybody else who was laid off, right? So how do you how do you balance that? Is that something you think about as a, a departing employee? 
um, how can, what are the ways you can navigate that sort of scenario if everybody else is 25, but the people they were laid off that were laid off were, you know, 40 plus, right? So a little bit of education on this chart. It, it actually, it, it, it tells you more than just who was laid off. It tells you everyone who was in the decisional unit of who was being oh. laid off. So for instance, let's say the decision was made, we are going to get rid of our entire marketing department. Everyone in the marketing department is going to be, or, or if it says we're, we're going cut. to, sorry, we're going to cut 50% from the marketing department. Everyone within the marketing department is going to be on that list. So you will see who was reserved and who wasn't, right? And they might say, we're going to cut 50% from the marketing department and we're going to do it on the basis of performance, or we're going to do it on the basis of seniority, or we're going to do it on the basis of X and Y and Z. Sometimes it'll say, you know, it could be on salary. That's, um, you know, sometimes that's a red flag. Older workers, particularly if they've worked for a company longer, tend to be making more. Um, You know, sometimes they say we're, so it depends on what the decisional unit is defined as. And there's been a lot. And do they express that? Within that document, do they have to say we made the our decision based on say what the decision is? And the decisional unit could be, you know, everybody in marketing at a certain level, right? So maybe mm-hmm. the you know the vice president of marketing wasn't part of that decisional unit, but you know all of the the AVPs and the directors and the salespeople <laughs> were. You know, I don't know. Um, it de- it depends on however it's defined. So, Maureen, you're going to see who wasn't selected for the separation program as well. So what if you're an older worker and you're laid off by yourself and then subsequently you find out that they have reposted your job and hired someone younger by a good margin or maybe not even by that much, but younger? What, what would you think on that front? Would that be, in your view, age discrimination? And by that point, I can imagine you would have already signed your severance agreement and thereby might not even have any sort of ability to bring a suit. But tell me how you would handle that sort of situation, which is something, by the way, I've seen. Yeah, I I think that kind of thing probably does happen quite frequently. So um, (laughs) the very lawyerly answer, of course, is going to be it depends. Um, The Age Discrimination and Employment Act and no discrimination statute anywhere in the U.S. protects you from being fired for legitimate reasons that aren't related to your age. So in other words, just because you're older and you get fired does not mean that you are being fired illegally on the basis of your age. Um, so it's really going to depend on what was told to you, what the, what the truth is. That said, how do people usually make that connection or show that nexus, um, that it was, you know, because of your age? There's really two main reasons. One is kind of the smoking gun method where you've heard your, you've, you know, you've been told you're too old, you're too slow. Um, right. You, you're, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. There's these kinds of, or other kinds of coded languages, um, you know, being called grandpa, Hey boomer, right. We saw, we saw, you know, we saw those kinds of, of, uh, comments permeating the workforce. And particularly if they're coming from your, uh, from the person who made the decision to terminate you, um, those could be very strong, direct evidence of animus. Um, most of the time there are not those strong evidences of animus. Uh, most of the time that an employer is going to uh, is going to be forced to present his or her case on the basis of circumstantial evidence. Uh, the employee, for instance, will have to show that the reason that was given to them for their termination is is false, made in bad faith, was inconsistent with 
other with other practices is inconsistent with uh, with the employer's own explanation of why the termination was made. Sometimes uh, the employee, for example, it would be if there was no nothing signed, right? And all of a sudden, you see a job posting for the role from which you were let go. So, and they and it reason, wasn't performance and, 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 related. Yeah, and then and then and oh. the initial reasoning given by your employer was, well, we're just we're eliminating the job. And all of a sudden, you see the role being filled again. That's that would be a pretty good in, indicator that yeah. the employer's putative reason was not was was false. Interesting. But again, that higher burden of proof, at least federally, would be in place. If you were in New York City and right. that happened and you had also had them call you boomer or whatever, that might be valid for you to actually bring yeah. the case. Right. I mean, or another example of this is if you're applying for a certain job and the employer tells you that you um, that you were not selected for that, or let's say you're applying for a certain promotion and the employer tells you that you are not eligible for that promotion because you lacked a certain skill or certificate or degree or something like that. But then the person they ultimately hire into that role also lacks that degree. Mm, yeah then there's some demonstration that there that the proffered reason is false and you'd have to you could then you know then be able to to show that it's more likely than not that the real reason was age yeah um so those are all of the and you do the same thing whether this is race or gender um or anything like that those would be the ways that you would that you would show that so let's say let's say you've already signed your separation agreement and you've received severance in exchange for waiving your claims Unfortunately, you're out of luck in that case, assuming that the, the separation agreement was valid and enforceable. You've already received your money and you've waived you've waived your claims. Um, this is why it's so important also before you sign a separation agreement to really know what you're signing, have it reviewed by legal counsel, take advantage of those 21 days or those 45 days and make sure you know what you're signing and make sure you've had your separation evaluated by someone who can who can tell you um you know, whether you have a case or not. Absolutely. I, I, I think that's really imperative. And what, what saddens me is that there are situations in which people don't have that luxury of A, being able to afford counsel or B, being able to even let a moment pass before they receive that income from a severance agreement. So they have to sign away before they actually know what they're signing, right? Because they have rent to pay or a mortgage or kids to feed or what have you. And and that is, is just such a, a bummer uh, factor here because obviously employers, they, they want you to waive your claims, right? They, they want you to sign this. They want to get you off their, their, uh, their books of, of concern, right? So it's, it's just an unfortunate reality that it's one, it's one more thing that, you know, creates a, a bigger chasm between the haves and the have-nots, like people who have the privilege of taking a moment, hiring an attorney and all that, people have to sign right away. It's just, it's kind of a side note, but it, it totally bums me out to consider that. So I know we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier in the interview, but we've been speaking mostly about what employees' rights are. What about applicants? What what does the ADEA protect them against, if anything? Great question, Maureen. Right now, the rights for applicants are significantly narrower than the rights for employees. Employees are protected against employers behaving in in a wide variety of ways um, in how they get and how they get treated, how they get segregated in the workplace. If applicants have to uh, are only allowed to bring ADEA claims for 
uh, very narrow kinds of treatment when they've been treated very differently from one other kind of applicant. See, this is, I think, getting to the crux of the matter. Like as an applicant, I don't actually know what's happening behind the scenes at this company. I don't know if you answer, I was born in 1965 and they put you in the no pile automatically. And there, uh, there recently was a suit brought against Workday, which is an applicant tracking system for actually precluding certain em- employees or excuse me, certain applicants from receiving an opportunity to interview. And so the, the suit was brought. But that is a very sort of, uh, I-, I would say, opaque world as an applicant because you don't know what's happening behind closed doors. You don't know if your your application is being you know, pushed into one bucket on the by the basis of, of your answers on an age placement, right? Well, I think initially, just from the start, it is hard to prove a failure to hire. Claim. Yeah. So if you're not yeah. hired as an applicant, it's a much just 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 factually, it's a harder burden. But now there's legislation pending in Congress that would match the rights of applicants to those of employees under under the, this new proposed legislation. So the law is now expanding to allow applicants to bring certain causes of actions that they were not or, or is likely to expand to allow applicants to bring certain causes cause of actions that they were not allowed to bring before under the ADA. Okay. But ultimately, just going back to my first observation, it's still hard to bring a failure to hire claim, claim as an applicant absent some egregious showings. I mean, historically, <laughs> which typically people won't do, right? Well, no, hey, I mean, Grandpa, people, well, sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, there's been there've been cases. Uh, I know there was a case, settlement by a group of applicants against Google a couple of years ago, right? Uh, where where the lead plaintiff was alleging that she interviewed with Google four times and she was never hired. And at one point, a recruiter told her to actually put her name, her the date of her graduation on the resume so that they would know how old she is. Oof. So obviously there are, you know, certain facts that are in, not necessarily smoking guns, but certainly have indicia of liability that just an employer doesn't want there on the record. But I guess and it's just generally speaking, the employees don't have the data to prove anything. And right. plus their interactions with their sorry, applicants that have the same data, plus their, are the applicants interactions with their, future employer are much more limited than an employee's interactions that are on a day-to-day basis where you can have all of these comments come out and and whatnot. And just the applicants, Mm -hmm. just a one-off. You're just in the dark. You're in the dark. And so I think there's a lot of hand-wringing. There's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of fear around, is this a factor? And I can tell you that when people, I mean, I've been obviously researching this quite a bit, and I can see anecdotal evidence all over the internet from Reddit forums to LinkedIn posts and comments and what have you on this very subject, whereby people are saying they've been told point blank by recruiters, yeah, I think you're too mature, you're too old, you're, you know, some some of them will come out and say something that overt, others will, you know, really kind of soften it with, you're overqualified, you know, which to me is typically a, oh, I'm not so sure you're... I'm not so sure. I, I don't think that that's, you know, age bias creeping in, but um, it's, it's interesting. So there's, there's that element in play for sure. I have but, something to add to this, I think. Too. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, governments, uh, lo- particularly local and state governments have actually um, started, begun to recognize that the, that this gap that Ben just identified in the ADEA of, of uh, and the, the disproportionate, a level of information shared between applicant 
and company, um, I, I think that local and states have started to recognize that because we have started to see some changes at the legislature level on uh, things that have passed recently involving um, applications um, in Specifically, uh, there there have been new laws in um, in the jurisdictions in which Ben and I practice, where you are no longer allowed to ask an employee's um, age or their dates wow. of graduation. That is wow. one way that uh, that the legislature is responding to what they what must be a recognition that there is age discrimination uh, going on in companies at that at that you know that pre hiring level. That's a great sign. There's a new law in New York City. That goes into effect in October, which says that employers can no longer, they can't use AI trackers unless the, unless these, uh, these tracking systems are annually audited for bias and those, um, and those wow. reports are published. So wow. it's very interesting applicant selection, applicant selection tools. That's the word I was use. And that's in New York. That's in New York. The flip side of the coin, though, obviously, to be fair, right? A lot of these laws do open up avenues for plaintiffs to sue employers, even if they're not qualified, because then they could allege, well, it was because of my age. Yeah. There are plenty of, you know, there, there are a lot of employers who don't, don't necessarily comply with the law, but there are also a lot of employees who are not necessarily qualified for positions, but would still apply to them. And yep. similarly with the AI, uh, the, the applicant selection tools, yes, there are, you know, auditing processes now that have to be exposed, but I personally sort of question how you can de-bias an AI tool without introducing bias into the system in order to check for bias, right? <laughs> that is right. the subject of an entire <laughs> yeah, podcast yeah. episode there, Ben. <laughs> for sure. Like very, very fascinating topic for sure. Um, but it does to me, when I look at what you've just shared, it shows to me on its face that the things are like the, the outlook is looking slightly better, that these things are being addressed. These, this is being recognized as an issue and the law is trying to sort through how to help out. Um, to your point, Ben, it's not going to be imperfect, a perfect application. It might, uh, you know, adversely impact employers in a way that's not really fair to your point with employees or candidates rather applying who don't have the skill set and then suggesting that it's because of their age. Like that's, not what we want either. That's obviously worse worse situation for employers. And and ultimately, my sense is that we can figure out a way to make this great for everybody. Um, maybe that's my Pollyanna approach. You guys could tell me since you you represented both sides. No, but I, I'd li- I'd like that as well. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? Let's let's work. Let's get there. What would you say should be some takeaways for people who are over forty in the tech world? You know, what should they do? What should they be on the lookout for when it comes to age bias as they stay employed at these companies? So I think that I think that employees, um, older employees, can do a couple of different things. I think while they are still employed, they should be keeping their ears open for all kinds of inappropriate language in the workplace, whether that's uh, you know against uh, older workers or against uh, workers of marginalized groups, and um, shouldn't be silent about it. Um, we always teach in you know discrimination, harassment, and retaliation prevention courses not to be a bystander um, and to and to call people out when it happens. And there are all kinds of ways of of holding other people accountable to uh, their you know, to inappropriate language um, that doesn't involve being 
rude or being aggressive um, and can, can, can affect real change. Um, certainly, all employees should be acting in ways that set examples as well. So don't be a part of the problem. Um, you know, <laughs> love it. And, and maybe, that goes, maybe that goes without saying, but don't laugh along and call your, you know, call yeah. other people old geezers if you yeah. don't want that to be called to you either. Um, love that. So golden rule. <laughs> yeah, golden rule. Treat other people. Um, be sensitive to you know, to other people. Um, but, but absolutely, uh, bring, you know, bring concerns to HR, bring concerns to your manager, address it with the person who said it. Some, you know, sometimes people say things and they don't really realize how, um, how marginalizing it can be. So I think that, um, so if you see something, say something is, you know, number one, um, number one takeaway. I think the second thing is, um, if you, if you are provided a separation agreement and you believe that your age had something to do with it, the reason that was given to you about your separation doesn't really sit right with you. Or if you see everyone else around you who seemingly is as smart and capable and productive as you are getting promoted and you're not, and you think there's something off about it, speak with someone about that. Specifically, anything you're going to be asked to sign, obviously I would, you know, recommend having a, having a lawyer look at that. Also remember that there are laws beyond the ADEA. As we mentioned several times, your state and your local laws um, might give you protections that your that your that your federal laws don't. And I think the other final the other final takeaway going back to separation agreements is even if you've already signed a separation agreement and something new comes to light, um, you could still have your lawyer look at it. Maybe the age discrimination claim wasn't validly waived. Um, as we've talked about before, there are a lot of notification obligations and protections in the law already. And if the employer didn't perform those well, your waiver may not yeah. be valid and you might still have a great point. Great point. All of those are great points. And I'm, I'm really glad that you shared them with everybody. I think this is something that is not discussed openly as much as it should be because it's clearly, you know, an issue. Like I said, lots of age discrimination cases in, in the tech realm. So I really appreciate you laying that all out for us and also feel like maybe we need to do another episode all about the different laws per, per different states and different cities. And maybe we can figure out where the, the best place to be old in tech is for an employee. You know, <laughs> feel, that could be a great takeaway, but I, I just want to thank you both so much for being here and for I, I sharing. I answer that actually right now. Oh, the best great. Let's do it. In, Save yeah, us some time. The best, <laughs> the best place to be old in tech is when you start your own company. Oh, there. You know, that, that makes a ton of sense and actually lines up with a lot of the other things I'm finding. That's the subject of another <laughs> show for sure. But um, I just want to thank you both so much for being here and for sharing your expertise and your wisdom with us and giving us a little lay of the legal land, uh, you two legal eagles. So thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank Our so pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today at It Gets Late Early. I hope this episode was insightful and entertaining. Now, before you go, if you're old and work in tech, just like me, I have something really cool for you. We're putting together a job board specifically for seasoned tech workers, where we'll curate the best opportunities for experienced tech talent. If you want a place to look for work where you can trust there won't be so much bias in the hiring process, go to itgetsleteearly.com and sign up so you'll be the first to know when we launch it. Thanks and see you next time.